Hello world, I'm Jared Cunningham. This is the Freelance Forum 2020 podcast series. Episode 4, Fiction, You Couldn't Make It Up, is made possible with support from the National Union of Journalists and the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland. The Freelance Forum exists to keep journalists up to date on the latest developments in the industry, as well as refreshing old skills and helping people network. Now, before we talk to this podcast's guest, Joe Joyce, I just want to talk about where the idea for this feature came from. It started with a Guardian feature, Struggling to Read or Write, How to Be Creative in Lockdown, which was a series of contributions from several writers. One of the contributors was English playwright and author Michael Frayn, and he has given permission to us to read his piece, Keep It All Nice and Simple. Here it goes. There's nothing I can tell you. You know it all already. You wrote those letters home, describing your adventures on your travels. You told those stories about the people you work with that make everyone laugh so much. So just write another letter home, but this time about some adventures you didn't have yourself. Tell us a story about some people you don't actually work with. Yes, invent a few characters, and they'll be so grateful to you for bringing them into the world that they'll do things off their own bat and make up their own dialogue, which will spare you a lot of hard work. And there'll be a bit of company for you in your isolation. Then just choose the right start point and get everything in the right order, exactly the way you did in your letters and stories, and you're pretty much there. Keep it all nice and simple and have a good time doing it. If you enjoy it yourself, just possibly someone else might too. So with that in mind, this is Freelance Forum, Episode 4 on Writing Fiction. Hello world and welcome to another edition of the Freelance Forum and joining me today is uh, writer and journalist Joe Joyce. Joe, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you very much indeed, Jared. Glad to be here. Joe, just to start off, um, could you tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, and I know you've just written a book, if you could tell me how you came to do that. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, my background was in journalism. I worked for the Irish Times for uh, close on 10 years. And then I was a freelance, uh, primarily for The Guardian, for another 20 years or so. on. And um, uh, about uh, 20, more than 12, God, 30 years ago, I started writing um, uh, writing fiction, wrote uh, two thrillers that were uh, published in London and New York. and. Um, then was hit by uh, illness, which put me out of action for a good few years and essentially took me out of journalism. And uh, in the last uh, 10 years, I revived my writing career uh, with uh, a trilogy of historical fiction books called um, Echo Land, all set in Dublin during the so-called emergency, i.e. the Second World War. And uh, the latest book is um, partly a, a sort of homage to my father, who... Uh, ran a museum in uh, Auckland County Galway, the scene of the battle where we lived, and uh, the book is called 1691, a novel. I know this is the uh, question that all authors hate, but it's one that I feel like I should ask as well as someone who writes nonfiction, which is when it comes to fiction, where do you get the ideas? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that, that is a good question, uh, because when I started writing fiction first, uh, I mean, uh, like, like most journalists, I think at some point you get fed up trying to talk to people who don't want to talk to you and uh, chasing stories that nobody will tell you anything about. And, uh, you know, that great line that they say to you, uh, oh, you know, you have your sources, you have your ways of finding out things. Uh, yeah, people tell me things, you know, or they don't. And at some point in journalism, you think, oh, my God, wouldn't it be so nice to just make it up? But when you're faced with uh, an entirely blank page, uh, that, is an, uh, that is a different matter. I, um, a, a long time ago, I interviewed John McGahern, um, a great Irish writer uh, for The Guardian. And one of the things he said to me uh, stuck in my mind, uh, which is that every, every book, every story, actually, never mind a book, Every story starts with one person in one place at one time. And uh, that is actually, I think, the starting point of all ideas. Um, for instance, my um, Echoland series uh, was inspired primarily by my interest in the emergency period uh, in Ireland during the Second World War and neutrality spies and all that. So it was the time that started that one. The 1691 uh, book, uh, you could say, was started by the place, uh, which was uh, where I grew up, uh, the scene of the battle in Nochrum. And uh, possibly my uh, earlier books were uh, started by the person. Is the first one I did. Uh, it was a book called Off the Record, which, surprise, surprise, was about journalists. Just going to the first book, which I, th I think that's interesting. Was that the first book you you wrote, actually, or the, f or the first book you published? Uh, the one about the one off the record. Sorry, when I say it was the first book, it wasn't the first book uh, I wrote. I mean, the first book I wrote was, um, well, I was the co-author of it with my uh, friend and journalist, Peter Murta, which is a book about Charlie Hawhey called The Boss. And uh, we wrote a, a subsequent book together, uh, a non-fiction one about the... Uh, infamous silence train uh, robbery case but when i said the first book sorry i was talking about fiction so uh, well, yeah what i meant was the first fiction book was uh, off the record was that the first fiction book you wrote or was it the first fiction book you published but you had other unpublished ones that you weren't happy with beforehand uh, no it, it was it was the first one i wrote yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and uh, the Talk about just that transition from doing non-fiction news uh, to writing fiction. Yeah, I, I actually think that uh, journalism is very bad. Uh, it's a very bad training ground for writing fiction, and uh, especially the kind of journalism that I was involved in, which was uh, daily news reporting, uh, because uh, it tends to be written at high speed. Uh, you never look back. You never have time to look back. And you have instant gratification that it's on it's in the morning's paper or it's on the nine o'clock news or whatever. Um, so I think it's bad training in 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 that sense. In that if you're when you're writing fiction, it is a long haul. I mean, there are people who write books uh, in uh, six weeks or so, but mostly it's uh, a matter of years and it's a slow process. And while um, as a journalist, I got to the point where I could write uh, news stories very very fast. Uh, as a fiction writer, I am an incredibly slow writer, in fact. Um, and I think there are, there, there are other uh, major differences. The first time I met my uh, first agent, um, who represented various journalists uh, in The Guardian and The Observer, 
and who were mainly writing and nonfiction at the time, uh, she just looked at me and said, journalists should not write fiction. And I said, why? And she said, because they keep stopping the action to explain the significance of this or the questions to be answered or whatever. Uh, and uh, there's an element of truth in that and that, uh, you know, but I have found on occasions, uh, one of the reviews of one of my Echoland series books uh, took me to task for not spelling out uh, an aspect of the main character, which I thought was perfectly obvious. So I've gone to the other extreme of not actually explaining too much of the action some of the time. But it's a difficult balance. And um, it's the difference between uh, I mean, certainly as a journalist, I think it's possibly easier for journalists who are feature writers because they are used to having things hanging over them. I absolutely always hated feature writing because uh, it would hang over me for a week, two weeks, whatever, and nothing would get done until the last day except feeling bad about it and feeling pressured and uh, it would all get done in the last minute frenzy like news report. I was just thinking of that myself. Uh the experience of writing for a monthly magazine is much different to having to get a court report in by four thirty, five o'clock in the evening. No matter what happens. Absolutely, absolutely. And the daily stuff is so much easier, to be honest. I mean, because if you don't do it today, I mean, especially as a freelancer, uh, which I was for most of my career, uh, if I don't do it today, I mean, the story's gone. Nobody cares about it tomorrow. And, and more importantly, no editor is going to call you tomorrow. Well, indeed, there's also that. Uh, and of course, uh, the bane of the freelancer's life, you cannot say no to anybody because uh, they um, say, oh, well, okay, so he doesn't want work. Okay, fine, that's grand, you know, won't call him again. So if if journalism can be a bad training for fiction, I mean, is it all bad? Or I mean, I assume things like, like the discipline of having to hit 500 words a day that word kind of discipline would, would be a help to to a novelist and um, well you're <laughs> yes it should be i mean uh, but you're assuming uh, well in my case that i'm disciplined which i'm not <laughs> so uh without having you know an editor screaming at you uh, to do something or the knowledge that you know the paper is going at seven o'clock and that's it i mean it's either there or it's not there you know uh that imposes a, a, a kind of discipline. Um, uh, I mean, one 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 of the things, uh, one of the interesting things that happened to me, uh, I had, uh, uh, as I mentioned, uh, a lot of medical trouble for many years, a heart trouble. And at one stage when I had improved and it had all settled down quite a bit, uh, my cardiologist said to me, well, you could think about going back to uh, doing some journalism. And but, he said, but, do not work to deadlines and just <laughs> explain to him that journalism only works on deadlines and that without deadlines uh, it doesn't work at all and nothing ever gets done and uh, that is that is one of the problems i think of transitioning um, from uh, journalism to fiction writing where you do need that kind of discipline and i mean a lot of people have it and a lot of people write 500 words every day and i mean i don't 
What, how, 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 I assume off the record was, I mean, it might have drawn from your experiences as a journalist, but it was a work of, it was just pure fiction, so to say, compared to, say, a story about the Battle of Auckland, which, uh, yeah, it, it, it may not be history, but it's historical and it's grounded in a particular real world. Yeah, uh, it is, yeah. And I mean, uh, the, the, there are different um, types of historical fiction, obviously. I mean, there's a whole different uh, subgenres of historical fiction that, uh, you know, go from Hilary Mantle down to, you know, whatever. Uh, uh, but there's also differences of approach. I mean, my Echoland series, for instance, uh, took the background of the Second World War and Dublin and spies and so on. So it had real people in in it, but none of the real people were uh, to the forefront of the story. All the all the people in the story were made up and the action was largely made up, even though they were looking for a person uh, who was a real spy some of the time. Uh, or some of the time, sorry, they were, they were looking for a person who was a real spy. Uh, but the, the, the real people never came to the foreground. Um, in the 1691 uh, book, which is also obviously historical fiction. All the people are real. There is nobody made up. All the events are real. Uh, and what is uh, made up, obviously, is the the uh, fictional aspects of writing the story. In other words, putting dialogue in people's mouths, putting uh, thoughts in their heads, and um, based on what they actually did and how it appears to me that they uh, got on with each other and. Uh, one of the fascinating things about it was being able to draw out, which I wasn't aware of um, from the history books, the friendships and enmities between individuals on the same sides uh, and so on. The, the normal kind of uh, carry on that we all have in our daily lives of uh, liking somebody, disliking somebody else, somebody does, does you a favor, somebody does you a disfavor. And, and you can draw out all these nuances, which actually are very relevant to uh, what ultimately happens and what decisions are made. So you start with, as you said, a place, a person or, or, a, or a time. How, how do you go about building a story up from that? Or is there a single method or is every, every story its, its own creature? I, I think the, the, there is no single method. I mean, I think every writer is, uh, is uh, his or her own, own, own creature. I mean, there, uh, one, of, uh, one of my uh, Echoland series uh, simply started with being down on the Renville Peninsula in, in, in Connemara uh, one day and being in one of these uh, old Second World War lookout towers. Um, towers are grandiose, not even the hut, actually. Uh, and uh, thinking what it would have been like to be here in December 1941 and seeing a plane coming in and realizing that plane was going to crash, uh, that it, it was coming down slowly, 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 and it was going to crash somewhere beyond Crowpatrick. And uh, so I wrote that, that scene and then tried to figure out what it was all about. Uh, and um, now, I mean, I, my 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 first editor after uh, the first two novels said to me, "You are going about this totally the wrong way. You are you should spend uh, you know um, you should spend a year writing a book. You should have a book every year because this is the crime genre, thriller genre you're in. So you're expected to have a, a new book every year. And the way you do that is you spend nine months plotting and three months writing." 
Now, I can't plot in advance. I can only plot sort of a little beyond my nose at a time. Uh, so this is a, a, a much more difficult, but I think actually a much more satisfying way of doing it because it is very easy to see the books, especially the kinds of thrillers that are actually plotted out nine months in advance or over nine months and then written you know, in a couple of weeks or a couple of months. Uh, because the characters never develop. Uh, it's all about the end of the story, really. They're, um, very often they're, they're what you would call uh, adventure novels uh, rather than crime or thrillers. But as I say, you know, uh, she was convinced I was to doing it totally the wrong way. And I mean, I would have taken her advice if I could, but I just can't plot far in advance because uh, and relying on the characters. I know it's an awful cliche, but you know, the characters take over. And even if you plan things out, you get to a point where, you know, if the plan doesn't actually work because of what your main character has been doing or thinking or something like that. And uh, it just doesn't work for me. But it clearly works for lots of other people. Uh, I, I know that uh, 1691 is self-published by you, that's right. Is, is that your first time self-publishing? Uh, it is, yeah. It's, uh, uh, yeah. it's not my first experience in self-publishing in the sense that um, oh, about seven or eight years ago, uh, my first two books, uh, Off the Record and uh, The Trigger Man, were both out of print. And I just decided to put them up as ebooks myself on on, on Amazon uh, for their Kindle, and um, gratifyingly they've sold uh, I don't know probably about uh, fifteen hundred or something over the years. Uh, at a point where they were they were they were dead, and I mean they were you know uh, I mean they were available in secondhand bookshops and that kind of thing, but. Um, uh, so that was my first experience of, uh, of, of self-publishing, putting up the old books. And uh, I mean, I think uh, any writer should think of doing that. I mean, one of the, one of the great um, things about Amazon is that books don't disappear anymore. Uh, and not just Amazon, but uh, second-hand bookshops, the internet in general, uh, where you can find practically any book in, in, in the English language that you want to, to read. In, it's a rare book that you cannot find secondhand or as a, an ebook somewhere. Uh, so that was my first experience of it. Um, the reason for publishing this, uh, for self-publishing this, is uh, partly that no, um, well, primarily no uh, publisher is interested in it, too much of a niche market, and uh, people are not that interested in military history and have been told uh, and so on. But I mean, I know there are lots of people who are interested in military history. So it was uh, a choice of um, just doing it myself. And um, the main inspiration for the book, the main purpose behind it, in a sense, was uh, in memory of my father and uh, in uh, homage to my father and uh, in uh, uh, recognition of the fact that I didn't pay enough attention to um, all of this stuff when I was young and wasn't interested remotely in what he was fascinated by. And it's called 1691. It's 1691, a novel, to, to make it clear that it, it is uh, written as fiction uh, and uh, that it's not just a, a history of the year 1691. And it has spread out. I mean, it started as a project about uh, the Battle of Ockram, which was the central event. 
of the year, um, but it has spread out to, uh, I, I realized pretty quickly that you couldn't just write about the Battle of Ockram without explaining how it came about and then explaining the consequences. So that's why it, it covers the year and covers uh, the sieges of Athlone, Galway, Limerick, and so on as well. And it's available both as a Kindle ebook and as a physical book from Amazon. Yeah, it is indeed, yeah, or from myself. I mean, I mean uh, people can get it through my um, through my website uh, at the moment, and um, hopefully it will be available in some uh, selected bookshops uh, once um, the current restrictions are over and bookshops are actually open again. Before that, what, what's what's the website address? Uh, the website is uh, just joejoyce.ie. Did you have any uh, problems like getting rights released and so on when you decided to self-publish some of your earlier books? Uh, well, that, that that is an interesting question because um, when the contracts uh, for those books were uh, signed, uh, there was no internet, uh, and um, or no internet as we know it now, and the idea of uh, an ebook uh, didn't exist as we know it now, and equally the idea of uh, print on demand. Uh, so the, uh, I mean, the Society of Authors has been campaigning about this uh, for, for for some years because um, some publishers. Uh, including the American publisher of one of the, one of the books, uh, has uh, insisted that no, it's not out of print because it's available through them on, as a print-on-demand book, even though over 20 years they sold one copy. Um, but they only had the American rights in it and the rights to the rest of the world, so I had no problems um, going ahead with things like that. But, I mean, obviously these days people, and especially agents, are much more conscious of... Uh, the uh, issue of uh, print on demand and uh, publishers arguing that they have the rights to a book forever. So there are various restrictions these days on uh, either time that you have the rights for five years or that you have the rights, uh, that the rights revert if uh, the book is not selling more than X number of copies a year either as an ebook or as a, a physical book. So, uh, no, I would think that anybody who has uh, books going back, um, uh, you know, quite a distance, who are, which are out of print, they really are out of print. And, you know, uh, I mean, um, a lawyer in the uh, Society of Authors said to me at one stage, we really just need somebody who is, uh, has the money to take a, a legal case about this and make, make it clear. Uh, what the situation is about these old contracts. Uh, if you were doing it, or hopefully when you're doing your next book, uh, would you do anything different in terms of, uh, of self-publishing, or is it just because the particular circumstances of that one meant it was the best fit? Uh, yeah, no, I would, um, I mean, I, I, I have another book uh, which is um, practically completed and is... Uh, not quite in the Echoland series, but it's uh, set in the same period during the Second World War, but on the French Riviera. And uh, I would be uh, looking to have that uh, published um, commercially in, 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 in the normal way. Um, I, I mean, I think that the uh, 1691 book is an exception in, 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 in various respects. Uh, I mean, one of the points made to me, which I, I, I think is a very valid point, is that uh, people who 
like to read military history probably don't like to read it as fiction. They probably would prefer to read it as fact. And uh, I mean, I would argue that um, writing it and reading it as fiction adds another dimension to it and makes it more immediate and um, can, uh, in the way of fiction, um, provide greater truths than simple facts. But, you know, uh, you can argue that back and forth uh, all day. But uh, yeah, no, this 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 other book uh, I, I would see as being a, a historical uh, thriller, basically um, involving uh, various people caught up in the extraordinary dilemmas that existed, especially on the um, Riviera in the earlier years years of uh, the Second World War. History grows, gets closer to us, or, or or things that we remember become history. Maybe as we get older. I, when I was in college, JFK was closer to me, the assassination, than nine eleven is to you know someone who's in college today. Oh, I know. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, what 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 uh, you know horrifies me is the thought that uh, you know in nineteen seventies, which I can remember quite well, <laughs> too well in many respects. Uh, when when I was a staff reporter in in the Irish Times, uh, that uh, you know that's uh, what you know, getting on to uh, 50, 50 years ago, and fifty years before I was in the Irish Times was the War of Independence. What? <laughs> this is shocking, but this is part of the horror of uh, aging. I heard an RT news program this week, which was marking the 50th anniversary of the arms trial handle breaking first. Well, there you are. Yeah, I was there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. There are too many 50th anniversaries coming up too fast these days. Did you ever write a fictional story around the arms trial? Ah, uh, well, I, I, uh, one of the interesting things is, I mean, uh, as I just noticed there are two books uh, coming out about uh, the arms trial, actually, uh, in, in the near future. Uh, one may well be out by um, an old friend and colleague from the Irish Times in those days, Michael Heaney, who subsequently in, in RTE, who has uh, written a book about uh, about the arms trial. And uh, I just saw some publicity in, in the last few days about another one that is coming up uh, as well uh, shortly, um, whose name, unfortunately, I can't remember. The Watergate, the great, the great soundbite was follow the money. And, and everyone in the arms trial, the story veered into who knew what and where did they do it, which was the other part of, of, of Watergate. And the fact that there was a bunch of money sloshing around disappeared. I, I always had this theory that you could write a piece of fiction about how none of that money ever got any further than Charlie Hawhey. And it started his expensive shirt collection. <laughs> there you are. There's a, a time, place and person to start with uh, for, your, for your novel. Yeah, but the money uh, did uh, disappear and the attempts to uh, track it down through, um, I think it was the Public Accounts Committee of the Dáil, uh, ended up in uh, the uh, courts and uh, never got anywhere. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I think, you know, uh, all us journalists um, have the idea that we'll write a novel sometime. Uh, it, but just to remember, I think that it is a different discipline uh it uh is a relatively lonely um existence compared to uh 
the fun and games of uh, daily journalism, which is one of its great attractions. And um, if I uh, hadn't been uh, forced out of journalism by ill health, I think I would still uh, be hanging on in there and may not have written the last uh, four or five novels or whatever. Yeah, I, I think part of it is, especially at the moment when some people like there are some fields in journalism that you're working away and you're, you've never been busy because there's a huge story to cover. But for example, like sports journalists are uh, at a, uh, somewhat of a loose end, and a lot of feature writers the same, especially freelancers. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's a case of that. It's something that you should do straight off at the moment because you want to be published, but. It is a project to do, certainly, and at least uh, to give you a focus. Um, the government has been good enough to set out a five phases to getting back to opening up the country again, assuming everything goes according to schedule and according to plan. So I guess you've got built-in deadlines in those states. So it, it, it may be something to explore just for the next few weeks for people who don't have any other options at the moment. Indeed, but I, I wouldn't see it. I mean, you know, as, as I mentioned earlier, I mean, there there, there are people who um, who write novels in five or six weeks and, um, and nothing wrong with that. Um, but, you know, I, I would think that you've got to approach it as a, a, a longer term project. It may be a good time to get started uh, because uh, as, as with anything else, I mean, you, as with your any old news story, the intro is the hardest bit, and um, once you get started, once you get into the story, it's um, you know it might be easier when you go back to normal life, so to speak, or normal work to carry on with it, and, and, and that this period may well give people the impetus to um, actually do what they've had in the back of their mind for a long time and that would be very good yeah no i i don't think it's something you can do out of the blue but certainly i mean i've had sort of a couple of ideas that i've never been able to get around to that uh, at the moment i think <laughs> i need to try and push a bit further yeah oh yeah absolutely yeah 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 i mean this is the terrible i you know journalism is a very seductive business and uh, it's a bit of a drug and uh, it's, uh, it can be quite difficult to break out of it um, because it is, um, it is such a great occupation uh, to have uh, and, and, and so on. So it's quite difficult in normal times to step back and, uh, you know, commit to doing something quite different. Not totally different, but quite different. All right, Jill, thank you very much for talking to me. It's been a pleasure. And... Uh... And best of luck with the Riviera book. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. well, you know, the best book is always the next book because uh, that's uh, we, we always live in hope and um, every book, in a sense, is a disappointment because it never comes out quite as wonderful as it appeared to you at four o'clock in the morning when you had the idea first. And that's uh, 1691 a novel. It's available on Kindle ebooks on Amazon and at uh, joejoyce.ie. That's it, yeah. All right, thank you very much, Joe. Thanks very much, Jared. Good luck.